Hey everybody, Alan Smithson here, the Excel for Business podcast. Coming up next, Kyle Jackson, founder of Tailspin. Um, you may have seen Barry, the virtual human that you can fire in real life. We'll be talking to them about their enterprise software solutions that leverage immersive technology to transform the way global workforces learn, work, and collaborate. We'll also be discussing how you can use immersive technologies as an assessment tool to better prepare your workforce for exponential growth. All that and more on the XR for Business podcast. Kyle, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so exciting. Ever since I saw the video that popped up of Barry, uh, the lovable older gentleman avatar that you can fire, how did that come about? Like, Tell us about Tailspin and how did you get here where you are now? Yeah, Barry became famous very quickly because it's such an ironic idea, right? And that's really what I think caught people's attention. The idea that you could use uh, virtual humans for soft skills training was something that was just just seemed sci-fi and ironic. But then once you started to peel back the layers of it, it just starts to make a lot of sense. So how we got there was we started looking at all of the future skills gaps, surveys, research, everything that was surfacing from, from the Shift Commission to the World Economic Forum to McKinsey Global Institute. And we just kept seeing, obviously, opposite AI and, and automation and robotics and all the things that were going on. One side of technology, that there was this increasing index towards soft skills for some of the most underserved areas for businesses going forward. We're building this platform, which is supposed to help transfer skills and, and really align us to the future of work. And every single survey says soft skills is one of those things we should be looking at. And we went, well, this can, is there anything we can do there? The thing that was most important for us in thinking about that was we have to hit emotional realism to do this. This isn't like a point and click replacement. This needs to be something that when I'm sitting in there and I'm opposite Barry or any other virtual human now, that I believe the emotions and the frustration and all the things that are getting thrown at me. And to do that kind of at scale, right? From both an assessment standpoint, content, and deployment to large companies. So how did you guys overcome the uncanny valley of Barry? I've seen so many human avatars that are almost there, but they got that creepy feeling. And if you're going for emotional realism, creepy is not what you want on the delivery side. No, we, well, we kind of pulled up short in our opinion. So we were pushing further than we even where we landed. And, and you can get to even more photo real than, than Barry is. But as soon as you do, you start to push over that ledge and it starts to really be creepy. We're kind of right in this sweet spot of north of Pixar, but not hitting realism. And that seems to work. We focused a lot on micro expressions and figuring out like a programmatic way to add a lot of micro expression to the silent moments too. Because I think one of the things that technologists immediately do is we have to figure out how to do animation systems, lip sync systems and things like that for when people are talking. But especially in soft skills, a good majority of the hairy stuff is the unspoken. And so we were thinking a lot about like, well, how do we build scalable systems for the unspoken and for the, the nuance of those micro expressions? And so that took us down a whole nother track. And, and it seemed to really work because people, um, we've had dozens and dozens of people take the headset off and be upset or really have that kind of like walk the plank moment that we all had in VR yeah, but yeah. around uh, around this this idea of like, wow, I just, I really had a weird feeling about this virtual character you know it's crazy i actually dug you know i bought uh richie's plank again and i've been putting people through it and uh, i forgot how amazingly simple that is and wow and so effective well and that's that's what the berry demo was so we, we we aren't building software to teach people how to fire people that's not really what's being sold but we went hey here's what's the plank experience of emotional realism and it's obviously focused on soft skills focused on business and we went 
well, here's a universal situation that kind of everybody knows is uncomfortable, either having been on one side or the other. Let's use that as the thing that basically people sit in and go, this is uncomfortable, or I knew how to push through that objection or whatever. And, and it seemed to be pretty effective. So the actual stuff that's being sold is actually more on the empowerment side. So looking at how do I get more proficient in giving good feedback, or how do I get more proficient in sales, things like leadership bias and, and other topics that are, that are much more about empowerment than they are about you know, termination. The last podcast I had was with somebody working on trade skills, so driving mm-hmm. construction equipment and electrical and HVAC and these types of things. And you guys are, are looking the soft skills. And it, it makes me kind of question, is there anything that VR and AR is not better than the traditional training? And I don't know the answer to that. We, we really don't have enough data, but what are your thoughts I on think- that? I think one thing that they both have in common is focusing on places where you really don't have a safe place to fail in real life, right? Soft skills, is it, it seems ironic that it's still on the other end of hard skills, but at the same time, it's the exact same thing. It's like when you go into one of these situations and you fail, it's just as is potentially um, filled with liability and other issues as it would be if you drove a forklift into a warehouse shelf. It's actually a kind of a, to me, it looks like a very similar theme, but yeah, you're right. It, it, without pulling back those layers of, of why the value is so much higher, it, it, it kind of, from the outside, it's like, wow, man, this, there's nothing this can't touch. But there is, I think there's really, there's really clear, like consistent lanes that seem to be huge ROI. Yeah, and it's interesting because I have seen some things, uh, especially in the education side of things uh, where it doesn't really make sense to put in VR and, and maybe they just didn't make it right. But there's some some things that I've seen. I'm just like, well, you basically just put a 2D screen content into VR and that, that doesn't really cut it. It wasn't interactive. It, it was just, it, well, it was, but very basic interaction. And I thought even then, I bet you they're seeing better results because of VR, because you, you can hijack people's attention, but it really wasn't that. So yeah, I'm looking at your Tailspin. So first of all, if anybody wants to visit, it's tailspin.company. You've got this co-pilot training, which is the Barry uh, virtual humans. But you've listed here, uh, with co-pilot training modules, you can teach interpersonal skills with emotional realism. Amazing. Simulate nuanced professional situations. Practice soft skills in the safety of a virtual environment. Create scalable and repeatable soft skills training programs. And measure the development of interpersonal skills. How does that compare to what companies are doing currently around these types of things? They don't have measurement. That was the crazy thing is. I didn't think so. Yeah, there's no measurement. And I mean, there's, there's anecdotal measurement at best, but it's, so if you're lucky enough to get put in the, in the group of, of employees that get leadership development or other, other types of kind of like more privileged uh, trainings, those are usually role plays or summits or things like that. They're very expensive to administer. Uh, or to facilitate, and they usually are. If you're at a really big company, the, the even the consistency between facilitators is pretty variable. And so they they role play through things. It's a check the box on did you get access to that program? Did you go through it? Did you hit all the milestones over like a 12 or 16 week program? But with this, obviously, it's it's kind of a different uh, different animal. So one of the things that we've had a lot of discussions with people is 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 giving. The things that would historically have been reserved for middle management and up, giving those, giving access to people much earlier in terms of their own personal development for, for these types of topics. And, and doing that in a way where, obviously, as you're going through these scenarios, we can measure everything, right? We can measure um, your own posture, right? We can measure your sentiment. We can measure all the decision points that are made in any sort of given conversation. And so 
surfacing that data back up in a kind of an aggregate way really starts to have a value that the businesses haven't even really had before. So it, it, it's interesting to see how that's going to get used. But I think to answer your question, they just don't, it's not measured. It's not really that measured today. The last podcast, we were talking about KPIs. Like, how do you then measure against baseline when there's no measurement to begin with? Or do you just say, from now on, henceforth, we will have measurement? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a good question. Do we, I mean, basically, the, the obvious things are when you get into like leadership bias and, um, and some of the diversity and inclusion topics, conflict resolution topics, there is some like core strategy retention that you can measure just like you could in any sort of like skill or knowledge transfer application. So right now we're using the idea that there's kind of a 2x increase in information recall for twice as long. Like we've been able to measure that. We've been able to see huge increases in satisfaction over the training. It's 93% over e-learning has been what we've measured across all the different things that we've deployed. Just generally, uh, uh, one of the things that was most eye-opening was people's ability to elaborate on something that was in the learning. But we saw, we did, a, we did an AV study and, and we gave people e-learning where they were sitting in a classroom environment, traditional learning modalities, so video and, and other PowerPoints and stuff. And when you started asking questions outside the learning, people tap out pretty quickly. So, well, that wasn't really in what we went over, so I'm not really sure. But with the VR, we, we did a B group where they had one-fourth the amount of exposure, um, and they were able to elaborate 400% more. Mind-blowing. It translated to confidence that, that wasn't even necessarily part of the core thing because they were connecting the dots, right? Because of, wow. because of the, the way it's administered. So... That kind of stuff, like it's not soft skills ROI yet, but it's hard to debate it. And so now we're getting to the place where we're going to have really like 2020, we will have really meaningful measurement across these big deployments. And we'll probably come up with ways to, to actually show that, the, that improvement curve. Because we're, we're also going kind of to some more of like an off the shelf model. So we'll have a catalog plus the stuff that's being built specifically for businesses. And so obviously the off the shelf stuff, we're going to have thousands and thousands and thousands of users. It's exciting to, to start to be able to be able to put measurement behind some of that stuff. What does the typical rollout look like? So I would say, generally speaking, around 1,200 to 1,500 people has been like kind of the minimum group size where it all kind of pencils out this early on. And that's obviously because it's kind of more expensive today than it will be next year. And then as far as the way it's been administered, we've seen a, a pretty wide variety there, you know, from classroom-based to like, hey, let's put 10 headsets in 12 cities and just let people book time. I haven't really seen that solidify yet into one kind of deployment methodology. What works best from your standpoint? The regional stuff works pretty good. Um, obviously, with the improvements that are coming from the enterprise uh, platforms now, we actually can get to the place where we can facilitate regular monitoring and updates of content in, if you have like regional training centers. Up until like this summer, I mean, we were, we were trying to get people to stay in one center as much as possible just to kind of keep the deployment craziness down. But I think that's going away. Honestly, we're, we're now seeing more and more people go the other direction. And, and then there's not really a whole lot of room between like, okay, well, I'm going to 12 cities versus I'm going to, to end users. And hopefully we start to see that there's enough value in the amount of content that people can access that they start buying headsets per user. What are the, the headsets? Obviously, HD Survive and, and Oculus Rift, but are you seeing more deployment now or more excitement around the standalone units? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the standalone units are, from an ease of use, just a huge step forward. And we just finished a, a really large, uh, actually, I think it's going to be the largest uh, enterprise study. We just did a, a 3,000 person study with about 150 Oculus Quests. 
and that deployment and that methodology, you know, and the uptick and everything is really, really exciting to watch. So you, how many quests? About 150 quests, but for 3000 users. Amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and, and deployed and I, it was under 60 days. So pretty quick turnaround time for getting that many users. So what did the people just book time with it or did they like, okay, when you're done, it goes to this person. When you're done, it goes to this person. How, how do you manage that? Yeah, it was booked time. Um, there was still some handholding at the head end because a lot of, as you'd imagine, most of the users were first time VR users still. Um, so there was still some handholding, but honestly, it was, it's a fraction of what it was for any of us two years ago. Oh yeah. I can't, well, last night my, my parents came over to my house and my mom was putting on VR and she's done it before, but yeah, it was still a challenge. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. The, the nightmares of, we had a traveling circus where we had like 10 shipping containers that were, they were, had been converted into VR base for a, for one of the enterprise clients like two years ago. Oh my God. And Oh my gosh, how many times the sensors broke and oh, the controllers man. broke and the signals broke. I mean, we, we ended up having two full-time people just to keep them up. Yeah, I believe it. So we're a long ways from that. Well, I mean, we still, some of the stuff we're still doing on, on the Vives and it's, it's a full-time job just keeping the computers up to date. It's crazy. Yeah. That's a, yeah. a disaster. Every time you turn it on, it's like Windows needs to update all of these folders. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So let's talk about some of the, I guess, customer engagements. You have a product here for, um, I don't know which one it was. I was just looking in the Tailspin for insurance. What is that all about? Yeah, so it's interesting. So even the soft skills stuff kind of came out of the insurance industry. So when we started the company, we spent the first several years just looking at what are the trends in the future of work? Like, what are the things that we can count on as staples for how work is going to be delivered and what's going to matter most, right? And so we had decided that we should look for companies and industries who have really large distributed workforces already because the gig economy is expanding and, and work is being um, distributed even more remote. So if there's industries that have that characteristic, we should focus there. And then the other was um, businesses or industries where they operate in environments they don't own or control. And mm -hmm. that was because the value is so much higher for them for early VR adoption than it is, say, for a retail company, even though we've seen some adoption there. But they have, they have thousands of training centers, if you think about it, right? <laughs> like every store is a training center. So the idea that access to, to the environment is limited is another reason why you see such a big uptake in um, like oil and gas and some of these other industries. So insurance happened to really embody that. Um, obviously they, they have tens of thousands of, of employees that are out in people's homes doing really difficult work and it's high, highly variable. So the idea of simulation and the idea of being able to really leverage all of VR's benefits was a hundred percent fit. And so once we got down that lane, one of the other things that became really obvious and apparent was that they have a really high number of situations in which soft skills are really important because they almost always meet their customers on their worst day, right? It's your house is either flooded or burnt down, or you've had an accident or whatever, like, like their interactions with their customers are all soft skills interactions. And so we ended up in this industry, um, we started working with farmers insurance in 2016 and we just saw incredible results. And as we just dug in deeper and deeper and deeper, we just found that there wasn't a huge appetite for this kind of product in that industry. And so we started building um, off the shelf products for the, for the industry because not everybody has 
a substantial innovation budget to really break new ground, but they all definitely want the benefit. And so we, we built a platform specifically for the insurance industry. I mean, it's really an expression of all the pieces of our platform we've built. And then we just started building a content layer on top of that for the insurance industry. Amazing. So what are they doing other than the soft skills? Cause it shows a guy holding a piece of wood. Are they training them to, to just deal with, with people in a better way? Are you even looking at like augmented reality of being able to capture uh, spaces for, for that sort of thing? What, what is it exactly? Yeah. So the platform we've been building is, is really, we look at the problem we're trying to address is, is this whole idea of like, how do we accelerate knowledge transfer and the alignment of skills for how employment is going to change? And so if you think about that, that's something that touches every single stage of kind of the employee life cycle. So just addressing it as a training platform that only people get access to in onboarding is going to probably miss the mark. And so we started looking at like, well, what could we do for assessment or during recruitment? And what could we do for empowerment when people are out in the field? And how could we look at the, the broad lens of spatial computing in each of these lanes? We mapped that out over a couple of years. And so, yeah, we've got basically um, a framework for process and object-based learning, which is the guy that you just mentioned, we were just holding a two by four. So we're teaching people how things are made. What are, what are things even called? There's a lot of uh, day one on the job stuff that's just getting up to speed on nomenclature and how things are connected to each other. And so uh, we built a framework for, for being able to rapidly build those types of experiences. Then process is pretty obvious. So in the insurance use case, the first thing that we, we did with farmers was you stepped into a simulated home in which that home had, had been flooded or had caught fire. And, and you basically had to go and play investigator and you had to sort out all the issues. And that meant also understanding how the, how the house was built. And so it really embodied all of the benefits of, of VR. And because people got to, a chance to go out and do 10 or 20 or 30 cases before they ever set foot on the job, obviously you got, you got really good results. And then out in the, in the mixed reality, you know, lane where we're exploring kind of like how can either being able to recall really quickly recall via voice, like, Hey, I don't know what that is. And through mixed reality, it brings up some job aids that you may have had in your onboarding, starting to connect all these things. So it's kind of like one cohesive, continuous learning string. That's incredible. Um, and so that's what we've been working. Yeah. And just focusing on one industry to start because, it, you know, we kind of have to figure out all these things that our systems and standards and frameworks. And then as we get that figured out, we can look at other areas. Soft skills is kind of a whole other area by itself because it just branches across the industry so fast. Just to touch everything. I think a big one for you guys is going to be banking. Yeah. I, I would think that the natural progression insurance and banking would be kind of in similar fields. The only difference being insurance people are in a, an environment, like you said, that's not in their control. Whereas banking, you can control their environment a little bit more. Yeah, we, we've got, you know, it's interesting. We, we've got a lot of interest from um, telecom, from construction is kind of an obvious one because you kind of, you know, insurance and construction kind of touch a lot of the same things from a process and object-based learning standpoint. But for soft skills, yeah, it, it's across the board, health and life insurance, uh, healthcare, banking, you name it. We've got an inbound and conversations going on in, in just about every sector. And it's interesting, the, the problems that people are trying to solve aren't that different. It's a lot of the same stuff. It's a lot of like, how do I have a critical conversation where I don't blow up the situation? How do I give good feedback? These are skills that somehow the younger generations coming into the workforce have, have lost because of becoming so digitally native. 
And so they want to give them an opportunity. So. Yeah, the more social we're becoming on social media, the less social we are in real life. Yeah, that's what the business world is saying. It's crazy. Yeah. Now we're using technology to fix the human yeah. problem. Yeah, that's the irony, right? <laughs> oh my God, what's happening? It's just, this, it's just this recursive loop now. Yeah, man, it's it's wild. Well, what what else uh, are you excited about, and what else have you got coming up in twenty twenty that that people are going to want to? I think for us, it's, it's everything's finally at a maturity point where we're seeing a lot of the big traditional SaaS and, and software players step into this space. They they kind of can't deny the results. There's enough ROI calculations and things that have surfaced that they you know, their customers are are really bugging them about having a solution. So. So we've got some really good conversations going on there to work along with channel partners and, and other kind of big ecosystem players that I think will become exponential for, for the industry. I'm really excited about spending a lot more time down the lane of, of the assessment side, because I think we always like the thing internally we talk about is, is like, if you could remember back to like your 12 to 15 year old self. And uh, I, I grew up in Colorado and we had um, good schools and generally had access to a lot of things. But the idea of what you wanted to do was still very much dictated by your parents' suggestions or just kind of whatever you had like nearest access to. And that's just not really a good system. And so the idea that with these mediums, we could potentially have a better understanding and assessment of our own real skills early on and start to look at what kind of opportunity lanes are out there for me. And, and start to be able to explore those, that to me is like a really exciting idea. I think it would really be a huge difference in how people ended up living their lives. I get really excited about the idea that, that we're heading into a, a period where maybe we can better align our individual purpose with opportunities because we're actually going to have better insights to ourselves and to those opportunities through, through these types of mediums. So it's just that to me is like a, is like a systemic rewrite of how people assess and start to build their lives. And we're like, I think that's like a, that's a 2020 area of focus. Isn't that crazy? Like it's hard to fathom that, but uh, that's where we are right now. People keep talking about the future, but the future is now. Yeah. It's wild to think that that's where we're at. It's not really a science experiment. Like it's just, it's just about committing to the work. Um, from Yeah. I mentioned this on a previous podcast. It's not a, it's not a technology problem anymore. It's a people problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just convincing people to adopt this technology. Speaking of that, I, I want to just dig in. What are some of the, the biggest challenges you guys have faced with this in general? I think the scale question. Everybody's yeah. like, this is amazing. The results I can't deny. How do we scale it? And there's just this, there's this idea of having to bring more hardware into your business, and that creates a lot of friction for businesses. So I often, being contrarian in that moment, sometimes you have to really push I've said, well, listen, is your, is your goal to scale access or success? Because if your goal is to scale access, then yeah, it's the wrong medium for you today. But if your goal is to scale success, then you need to look past some of these other things because you're just getting in your own way. The effectiveness is through the roof. And that obviously, that's a challenge that people, that puts them back in their seat a little bit. And they go, yeah, that's actually a good question because we are really focused on access. And access mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily equal success. But yeah, the scale question is by and far the biggest one, which is amazing that we're having that conversation. It's a great right? question. It's a great, it's a great point. You know, that's just the fact that we're even there is again, night and day over two years ago, that question never came up. Now it's, it's, yeah. I can't get out. We can't get out of the first meeting without having to figure out how to answer that question specific to that organization. Wow. That's amazing. Is there anything else you want to share before we uh, wrap it up? No, I think it's just exciting for, uh, for all of us, I think to head into next year and 
hopefully there's a lot of the kind of infrastructures in place to help rise all boats and 2020 is the year to do it. Indeed. That's one of the reasons we started XR Ignite as a community hub for startup studios or developers to come together and like you said, rise all boats because I think there's a lot of great work being done and there's a lot of camaraderie, but nobody's really brought everybody together as a community aside from the VRA Association, which is doing a phenomenal job as well. But Yeah, um, yeah you guys have done a phenomenal job with that. Got, thank you. Thank you, know. you. Our mission is to hyper accelerate the XR industry. So when you look at it from that standpoint, we have two companies, Metaverse and, and XR Ignite. Uh, XR for Business, the podcast, will also be a news aggregator and stuff so people can get access to the information they need about their industry. But these are all tools that are trying to help the whole industry move forward, right? If, if we yeah. can create a tool that helps people find the right supplier at the right time for what they're looking for and, and helps them cut through the crap, because let, let's be honest, if you're an HR manager and you want to do VR, where do you start? Like 360. Yeah, but we're like, what do they, maybe they don't even know what that is. Like they just, I saw VR headset at, at a trade show. It was amazing. What do I do? Who do I call? Ah, so yeah. there's a lot of that going on. I don't think we're even close to the end of it though, right? I mean, like the, the education piece is starting, I think, to get a little bit more mature because of the help of, of the work you guys have been doing. And and we're now on a, uh, the doorstep of like really needing to think about like the critical infrastructure, like the AWS layer is what I always say. That's, but, and it's funny that you say that because we actually pivoted about a year ago to focus on that. Uh, what does the, the backend tech stack look like to not only deliver this content, but standardize it? Because... If I go into an, we'll just use an insurance company as a as a an example because you you brought it up. So I go in there. You you're talking about the VR being used for for the soft skills training, but if you take a Matterport camera into a, a flooded building, you can now capture volumetrically the problem firsthand for legal purposes. There's there's all sorts of ways this technology can be used across an enterprise. And there's no standardization at all. Like it's, no. it's the Wild West. So if we can figure out what those standards look like and also the quality standards, I know everybody out there, if you're developing stuff, here's rule number one, don't make people sick. Yeah, and yeah. If we can just adhere to rule number one, uh, I think we'll be just fine. But uh, I, I tried something the other day. I tried a, an experience and it, it, oh, I had to take it off after about two seconds. I was like, oh God. And this is a, this is a publicly available thing on Oculus Quest. I was like, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'd hope we'd be that we were done overcoming that objection, right? But it's still there. It's a problem for, for the industry. It's not, it's not a problem from our company and your company. But if you have a CEO that had a bad experience and I did a 5G experience. It was one of the large telcos, like a massive telco. They, they had this 5G experience and it showed as they turned from 5G, it was an AR experience where glasses and you had to do a task in the physical world. But the pass-through camera, they, they went from 5G down to 4G down to 3G to demonstrate the difference. And I'm like, why are you making people sick? It's so nauseating. There's such a delay. And it was like, oh my God. And my wife and I were both sick for hours after that. And that was at a major conference. Yeah, that's not the kind of way that we should be convincing people of 5G. Yeah, 5G is awesome. Look at it makes you sick. Uh. <laughs> yeah. What is one problem in the world that you want to see solved using XR technologies? I think it's that 15-year-old self. I want us to be able to, as an industry, give access to kids uh, to be able to explore the world in such a way that they actually step out of their formative years on a path that they already have conviction for. And that's like a ubiquitous, that's like the new standard, not like the exception for exceptional kids. 
that is something that's right there in front of us. And it's just a matter of walking out for a few more years. You know, it's amazing. Um, 25% of our company is owned by a trust and the trust goal is to deliver on that promise to deliver education at scale. Our goal, our mission is to democratize education globally by 2040. And there's another group in Toronto that I'm a mentor at called the, the Knowledge Society. And they take 13 to 18 year old kids and they really just help them find their passions because if you can find your passion young and then your passions are going to change, but if you can just find how to find your passion and really just live that passionate learning uh, mindset forever, it doesn't matter what your passion is, as long as you have the passion and you realize that you can learn anything about anything instantly. So I think uh, this technology will, will hyper accelerate that as well. well. And I think it also changes people's definition of success, which I think is something that is also going to be critical to kind of our world going forward. And so it's such a good time to be able to focus on those kinds of issues. And the fact that there's huge institutions like the ones you're working with, they're all out there putting uh, their everything into it is a really, really inspiring thing to be a part of. PwC um, just announced they're, they're earmarking $3 billion to reskill and retrain their staff. Yeah, and we're seeing those pop up. You know, I mean, AT&T did a billion dollars last year. Amazon did $750 million. I mean, this is this is a topic that is obviously, I think, near and dear to any large employer. It's just a question of whether they've decided to step up and take the responsibility. I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard a stat that Accenture has to hire 50,000 new employees a year. Yeah, that, that's that's about the right range. Yeah, PwC has 25,000 new associates every year, just on the associate level. Wow. Kyle, I, I want to thank you again for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. It was fun. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know reports coming out daily but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, -on -one, one hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions. We're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates 
who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.